Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection. <laughs> and inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. That's us. Ooh. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, that invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy like this particular book. Rule. Mm. Mm-hmm. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep all that nonsense. Nonsense? Mm-hmm. Oh, smackdown achieved. We're going to have a good Gloves one. Gloves are off. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? We'll see. We will see. We will see. So shall I do the spoiler alert? I think we have to. There's so many alerts with which to spoil. There's a lot to spoil. There is a lot to spoil. And Mm. we don't want to spoil it, so spoiler alert. So the book title... Howl's Moving Castle by, by Diane, Diane. Wynne-Jones. Yes. Um, we are going to tell you right now that we are going to talk about the whole book, including any surprise endings mm-hmm. and magical twists. Has them. So if you have not yet read or watched the movie <laughs> Howl's Moving Castle and you don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it or decided you're just not going to. Well, I mean, nobody's going to do that. It's fabulous. And forewarning, the book and the movie are not exactly the same. And we usually just talk about the book, but the movie is so good that I've got little tidbits to snip it in through here. So if you've watched the movie, you should still read the book because it's not longer. It's not a very long book, but it's wonderful. And there's extra details you wouldn't have seen in the movie. And then the movie is um, by Miyazaki, and he has incorporated some of his stylography, and it's it's wonderful. And you, sh- you should do both. That, that was less of a spoiler alert and more of a, my choices are excellent. Everyone should enjoy them. <laughs> do I need to describe the look on my face right now? Oh, I can do it for you. Okay. So Christine looks so happy to be here. Hmm. It's, like, it's like I handed her a puppy and a lollipop, one for each hand. <laughs> Or, like the puppy, is holding a lollipop because we live in a magical world, such as this book. I really, I'm going to carry this podcast this time. Mm. You can just be so excited over there that they're going to feel your joy through the airwaves. I think they feel the anger. Anger? Well, come on. Mischaracterization. No, I would never do that. That's inappropriate. Okay, so give us a a plot synopsis. Okay. There's so much joy. <laughs> I love this book. Um, so this book is Howl's Moving Castle by um, Diana Wynne-Jones. And it's set in a magical world, which many of mine are, where things like fairy tales are just known to be accurate, right? <laughs> so the protagonist of the story is a young lady named Sophie. And Sophie is the eldest of three daughters. So she knows right off the bat that she is not going to be famous. She's not going to marry a handsome prince. She's probably just going to have a pretty regular life because she's eldest. Yeah, the eldest just, just losers. Exactly. So she works in her stepmother's hat shop and... Um, one day, uh, an older woman comes in and curses her for reasons that Sophie doesn't know. And she turns into an old woman. She's I, They don't actually give her an age because she doesn't know how old she is. But, you know, 70s or 80s, she feels creaky all the time. Well, she says she feels like she's 90. But That's true. But she was also, what, like 
17, 17 when it 18. happens. So yes. She might not have a really good yeah. yardstick there. She is in a range of an age <laughs> that say you would be eligible for, I don't know, Social Security, <laughs> ARP, right? right. Um, so she is turned into this old woman. It's not just that she looks in a mirror and she sees it. She feels mm-hmm. old. And so she decides because she is a very capable young woman, even though she's an old lady now, that she's just going to set out and figure out something to do. So she ends up at the castle of the Wizard Howl, which is a moving castle. It has legs and walks around and really just wants to sit at his fireside because she's cold and mm-hmm. her bones are creaky. Sure. And ends up getting kind of a job there, uh, like a well, kind she, of a job. She, like, tells him that, yeah. hey, guess what? I'm your cleaning lady. Yeah, your house is filthy. You need to you buck up. like a pig. I'm going to be here now. <laughs> this is my chair and my fire. So... Those are some basic introductory points. The story is about her relationship with Howl, trying to figure out what's happened between Howl and this magical fire demon who lives in this house that keeps it running, trying to figure out how to break the curse on herself, and keeping an eye on her two younger sisters mm-hmm. who are out on their own journeys to, to find whatever adulthood has to bring for them. Doing crazy stuff. They're yes. sister swapping. They're doing mm-hmm. all kinds of weird stuff. So. That sounds amazing. I don't know why you're telling me that this is not your new favorite book ever. It's also the first in three. Oh, God. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. There's three sisters. But the other two books are not about the other sisters. They're set in the same world, and some of the characters kind of play back into it. But it's not the same. It's not like, oh, this is this is Letty's book, and oh, this is her book. No, it's they're they're very different. They just happen okay. to re-jump in there. So before we get too much in the book, which I know you love and everyone's going to agree with, um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the author. I don't know how much research you did on her or how much you know about her. Uh, very little. I, okay. I, the only thing I know about her is that she is bestie was besties with my buddy Neil Gaiman. Oh, did and you know so that? The, what I hope is that they. That she collaborated with his book on Duran Duran. That's Maybe. my hope for her. I also wish that. That would be amazing. <laughs> she was, so she passed away about a decade ago, and she was a really prolific writer. Yeah. She, um, you may be surprised by this, she's English. I know. Okay. I can't I can't help myself. <laughs> I don't even think about it anymore. I'm just like, oh, are you an English author? We need to ruin your books. <laughs> um, so she was born in 1934, and um, she grew up in England. She lived her whole life there. She was moved around during the war, and I think she was in Wales for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she went to school uh, and got a degree in English, and she actually took classes that were taught by J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, which I thought was interesting for our podcast because sure. those are two books that you desperately don't want me to have you read. Accurate. Accurate. But that someday we probably will. Oh, God. I know, right? I'd like to foreshadow in reality for oh. you. So she, she's got this really interesting background, but she said that the reason that she started writing was so that she could keep her sanity after she had kids. <laughs> she needed to, at least in paper, have, like, adults that were not her own children or her sick family members. <laughs> so writing for her was totally an escapist piece of work. Right. She was just – she wrote worlds that she could dive into and pretend like <laughs> her household and family were not happening, which I think is kind of funny. So maybe this was Diana's moving castle, and she wanted it to walk right away from her. Maybe. Maybe. Um, And so she's written, I didn't count how many, many series and many connected books. She's been up for tons of, tons and tons of different awards, some of which she was running up, some of which she was nominated, some of which she won, including Locust Awards, uh, British Fantasy, World Fantasy, Carnegie Medals, Hugo Awards. She's been all over the place. So she's totally on my hit list of people (laughs) we need to talk about here. Um, And I won't talk too much more yet about the movie stuff, but okay. most of her books are geared towards children or teens. Mm-hmm. They're usually pretty kind of family friendly. There's not too much raciness in them or, mm-hmm. you know, language that people might object to. So they're 
they're interesting. They're mm-hmm. just interesting little books with weird kind of subject matter that you get to dive into. Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting is one of the awards she won, actually this book won, mm-hmm. was called a Phoenix Award, and it's for literature that <laughs> didn't really hit it when it was first released. Yeah. And then 20 years later, it's it's an award for, oops, we missed you 20 years ago. And it turns out you're pretty good. You're still good. You were good then. You're good now. How do we? It's like those artists. Remember when we were t- when we read the girl with the pearl earring, right? Uh-huh. Yep. The um, painter in that one, who's name? Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. That one. Uh, his works weren't really acknowledged as being wonderful works of art until after he died. Right. She was at least alive when this happened. Thank goodness. So we should all hear the good praise while we're still alive. <laughs> and she's just. Uh, She's just such an interesting author. The The themes and the topics she takes on are kind of evergreen. So, like, this mm-hmm. story touches on themes that I, I think almost anyone can relate to. It's about the family you have versus the family you build, mm-hmm. what a house is, um, what it means to age mm-hmm. and to become an adult mm-hmm. and the responsibilities that come along with it. Even though it's set in this weird, wild, wacky, fantastical world where their house gets up and walks around and it's powered by a fire demon that lives in the fireplace that runs it all. When's the weird part come? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I thought you were going to notify <laughs> me of it. So I, I agree. And I was surprised to see that it was um, written in 1986 because I didn't look it up until after I read it. I don't want to be influenced sure, sure. ahead of time. And um, I think it holds up. I mean, I know that fantastic fiction should hold up because, yeah. you know, you're imagining stuff, but sometimes it doesn't. And yes. um, I think this held up really well. And especially, I think, um, when you're trying to show... Uh, differences in how people are treating each other. Yes. You know, like she was obviously a feminist. Yes. Um, these all the women are strong characters, yep. um, and the men are too. Um, mm-hmm. But although, they, they don't rely on one gender or another right. to, to move their own lives forward. Right. Yeah. So I would I would definitely think of Diana Wynne Jones as a feminist, and she it holds up. You know, there's nothing that where you go, oh, you were kind of a feminist or you were a feminist for your time. She was just truly a feminist. She was. And so the three sisters in the story are so different, Mm -hmm. but they all go on to find their own futures and to kind of take their own life in their hands, even in a society where, like, you know, the father dies and he had put them all in debt because he had sent all the girls to school. Yeah. And then the mom... Or the stepmother sells their hat shop that they were all working in. So she sends them all out to apprenticeships right. so that they can build their own lives and have their own livelihoods. And I agree. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a really – I love that. Yes. Hmm. Feminist. Yes. Yes. So you loved so many aspects of this book. I can tell already. Tons. Was there anything that maybe you loved slightly at a lower degree than how much you loved everything else? There has to be, just by order of operations, right? A lesser degree of loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's still high. It's sure. just maybe not, sure. it's not like buoyance. <laughs> so um, you will not be surprised to hear that I did not like the inconsistencies. There were a lot of inconsistencies. Yes. I can't let it go. I, know. I feel like a broken record. It's fine. I, I it's just, accurate. I, there was, like, sometimes the magic was important, but mm. sometimes they... You know, really, or they really took on extra work Mm -hmm. when the point is like, well, aren't you magic? Couldn't Mm -hmm. you have magic do that for you? So that seemed sort of silly to me. But yes, um, no, and you're right. You're right. So in this book, Howell is the magic wizard, and his real name is Howell Howell Jenkins, right? Okay. So Wizard Howell, Mm -hmm. Howard Jenkins. Um, You know, he's the ultimate magician, so he should really be able to just like snap his fingers and Mm -hmm. do what he wants because this is not a 
This is not a sci-fi book where you have to explain the rules of science that gets you there. I don't need to know the quantum mechanics of how a spaceship flies in this book. Right. I just know that he has a cool house that he cobbled together with magic. Sure. So he should be able to do that kind of stuff. And there's so many things he can't. Like, one of the weirdest things in this book is he, he as one of the main characters, is incredibly vain. Yes, he Incred- is. He spends hours and hours in the bathroom every morning. He comes out smelling of cologne and perfume and mm-hmm. soaps. He changes his hair color. He has fancy, fancy suits that draw the ladies to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you're magic, maybe just, like, like overlay a little bit. Don't yeah. waste two of your hours in there, like, gussying up. Yeah. But, oh, no, he's got a, he has got a routine. Yeah. And he settles into it. So I, I agree with that point. That's a fair point. Uh, so, and I thought that there was kind of building on your uh, vanity mm-hmm. allowance for um, Howell. He did a lot of whining. He oh, was yeah. really whiny, temper tantrums, mm-hmm. um, very self-absorbed. And I, in retrospect, there wasn't really anybody that I liked. Even okay. Sophie, who's very strong and mm-hmm. she's resilient and she, um, I think she has a lot of good qualities. Mm-hmm. She was nosy. Yep. She... I like that, by the way. Okay. Okay. Yep. She wasn't, there was very little loyalty throughout this okay. book. Yep. Like, the sisters are both telling her, oh, well, you shouldn't trust our stepmom because she's just thrown you under the bus. Yep. And then they go up and kiss and hug the stepmom like yeah. they're old buddies. And that happened in ev- almost every direction. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled with that because there weren't, there were no characters that I was like, okay, you're redeeming or you're growing. Because at the end, they're all the same. They haven't True. really matured or. They've made decisions, but yeah. they haven't changed that much. So I took it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And part of what I really like about this book is it's written for children and teens, yes. right? Yes. And so Howell, who is an adult at this point, I think he's in maybe his early 20s, yeah. maybe his late teens, somewhere in there, he. He is like that perennial teenager who will not grow up. Yes. So there's an episode in the book where he has a fit. Mm -hmm. And I can't even remember what it's about at this point. But the fit he has is so exorbitant that he starts leaking green goo everywhere. (laughs) It's like the worst emo temper tantrum that anyone has ever seen. And that was just a really visual example of how... You can physically be an adult, but still act very much like a child. Yes. And Sophie was the opposite on that spectrum. She was a teen. She got magicked into being this old person. And almost immediately, the tenor of her conversations and the way she thought about herself and other people changed. So Yes. And that was very interesting. Yeah. So she she leaves her home. She starts going up a hill because she doesn't know where she's going. (laughs) And she runs into this spry young man of 40. And she's just amazed at how well put together he is and how he climb up the hill. And he, like... A day ago, she was 17. And that same day, yes. she looked at Howell and said, oh, my God, he's ancient. He's 22. Yes, exactly. And there's a part similar in there where she's trying to walk up the hill, and she can hear her legs and her bones creaking. And then she stops for a second going, no, way, that's something else that's creaking. It's Howell's <laughs> castle that's coming to me. But over the course of the book, she is aged throughout mm-hmm. most of this. And her perspective and the way that she treats other people is slightly different mm-hmm. than how she would have treated them if she had been her 17-year-old self still. So Howell is this won't-grow-up teenager, and Sophie is this forced-into-early-adulthood teenager. And I liked liked the conversations that they had where they interplayed because then Howell's apprentice, Michael, Mm -hmm. is just like one step lower. I think he's like 14 or 15. 
And he is just fumbling. He doesn't know how to do anything yet. But he's so grateful to have a home. Yes. Like his he's he is another fairy tale trope. Like his parents are dead. He got kicked out of his house. He had no food. He just was wandering around, found Hal's house, crawled his way in, and then Hal didn't kick him out. Right. So it's just how I liked how they interplayed together, even mm-hmm. if they weren't none of them were spectacularly amazing people. <laughs> they just were people who found themselves in really weird situations. And did not make good choices about how to get themselves out. <laughs> well, they didn't necessarily make bad choices. Like, they're, uh, I don't know. I mean, there was, Howell was dumb. He was, he was vain. <laughs> he was a womanizer. He, oh, he was a flirt. He just. Uh, okay, I, I read more into that. <laughs> okay. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. That's very nice of you. In the movie, he's not. Okay. But in the book, I think, I yes, I may have just read more into it. But yeah, they're just, they're interesting people. I, I enjoyed reading about them. So so one question that I have, you know, I can't get, I, I have to have answers. I can't okay. let stuff go. It's going to be hard because it's What's probably going to happen. What's the deal answer. with the spiders? I, there's nothing. I've got nothing. Oh, come on. No. You can't have this whole thing with the spiders and nothing. then have it just be like, poof. Nope. There's so, no there there? No, there's no there there. So <sighs> this house that's, that Sophie lands in, this moving castle that walks around, um, is filthy. Uh-huh. And so she... Decides she's going to stay and take care of it because she's an old lady. She doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> um, and Howell just kind of lets her. And he's so mad every time she cleans something because yep. she rubbed off his chalk marks that help him figure out things. And then she doesn't know where he put his spells. And he will not let her clean his room. And some one day she finally gets in there and there's like spiders spinning cobwebs. Of it, and he <laughs> watches them with loving adoration. His They said that his quilt was one color, dust. <laughs> <laughs> I love spiders. I'm a champion of spiders. I'm on record as as not killing spiders. But I could not figure that one out. I, no. I kept waiting for them to, like, Do save something. the day nope. in some aspect nope, just, or be loyal. They were uh, misdirect. They were yes, just, they, they were. were just, That's exactly what they, they were. They were just there to confuse you slightly. <laughs> I think one of my – not my favorite character. One of the characters I enjoyed hearing about was Calcifer, which uh, – yes. He was just an odd so cat- fire demon. He was a fire demon. He was a fallen star. Mm-hmm. And he had made this bargain with Howell to try and live. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he was falling and Howell caught him. And then he said, okay, I'll power your house and we'll work it out. And it was just such a weird little character, the way that they kind of anthropomorphized him. That, yeah. you know, he's this flame, but his face was this long, thin blue face. And his hair was these green, twisty tentacles on top <laughs> that came out of the flame. And I could imagine it. Like, right. I could imagine a flame flickering and you look into it and you see, like, a face peering back out at you. Yeah. And he was just such a snarky, sassy little flame. I liked him. I So I was <laughs> conflicted about this because Howell seemed to... They had a very contentious relationship because it was clear that the power was shared but unbalanced in some way. Yeah. And um, that, uh, what's his name, Calcifer, was kind of a victim or a prisoner in some sense. But you can't, you don't know how. And Sophie's trying to figure out how. Yes. Um, And yet it was very clear that Howell liked and deferred to Calcifer, even as he was keeping him a prisoner. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. Very much so. And I don't know that we got a lot of complete satisfaction out of that mm-hmm. at the end, because at the end of the book, their contract is broken, and they're, they're their own unique and separate people, and Calcifer chooses to stay. He as chooses. long as he can come and go. Yeah, because he's got more freedom now. Yeah. And that was, because this is a like a kid's teen book that was written in the 80s, I don't think she had 
as much space to go into detail about that because yeah. that would have been a really interesting subplot about, you know, how do you respect someone's individuality and their freedom to choose if they're not like the same species as you? If right. it's a, it's if it's this creature that's just landed in your house, and is there a Stockholm syndrome? Yes, and fires. Yes, yeah. So it was that was another really interesting one. The the person that I thought got the shortest shrift in this book was the Witch of the Waste. Yes, I would have loved to have known more about. Why? Like, she is the bad guy in the story. She is the one that is stealing people and trying to, like, mess up everybody's life. She's the one who's threatening people and cursed most of the characters in this book. And we have no idea about her motivation. Like, I I don't know why. And I would have loved to have known more about her. I don't think we ever get any of her backstory because she she dies at the end of this book. And she's not involved in any of the two subsequent ones. So I have an idea. (gasps) I'm ready. You're going to write a prequel. Me? Yes. Okay. Take it on. You and Neil Gaiman. Yes. Oh, I would. Oh, my gosh. She's about to faint. She's about to pass out. I have to keep breathing because <laughs> breathe. air is important. Oxygenation is required for continued life. I, Neil Gaiman, if you're listening to this or your publicist or anyone who's involved in your life in any way, I would <laughs> love it. I will give you all of my creative energy. I am so excited right now. I am fiddling. Wow, I've lost you. I'm done. I've lost you for the rest of the podcast. This is a okay. great podcast. Good job, us. <laughs> great book. Everyone's happy. Um, okay, before we act, I'm, I'm not kidding, though, so somebody <laughs> somebody call me. Um, so the other thing I wanted to make sure we touched on, just lightly, is something I know you don't have a lot of input on because you haven't watched any of the movies. Yes. But I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Go. So how much do you know about Miyazaki? Nothing. That that hurts my heart. I know. So, but you know what? You would also be disappointed if I said I was secretly a closet fan. You would be like, "How could I not know this about you for so long?" That is true. Yeah. But then I would end up happy. Like there's okay. a bound. Ba- there's Got a up, there's yeah, up yeah. and a down. It's like a roller yeah. coaster. So this one, I'm just gonna I'm mildly in the middle. Yeah. So Miyazaki is a Japanese film director. And most of what I have encountered with him are animated works. Okay. I, I don't know if he's done any live action stuff, but he's awesome. So maybe he has. So I'm going to say some names and I want you to tell me if you have heard of any of them. Not watch them. Just go ahead and say them all and I'll stop you if I have. Okay. Castle in the Sky. My Neighbor Totoro. Kiki's Delivery Service. Spirited Away. Oh, my God. Ponyo. Okay, well, that's not all of them, but those are the ones I thought that maybe you would have heard of. And you're kind of crying right a now. A little bit, yeah. Just that makes me really I'm allergies. <laughs> but yes, that makes me really sad. Okay. Next next podcast is just gonna be movies. Um I just love his work so much. I had a fantastic opportunity to go to Japan a couple of years ago, and one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't go to the museum that houses um some of his works and it has like short clips of things that aren't published. Like you can't watch them anywhere unless you go to this museum in oh, Japan. Cool. And I am still, I'm like racked with guilt <laughs> that I ruined this opportunity not to see it's this. It's just an excuse to go back. Yes, it is. So it's, um, I think it's House Glebe. Okay. Um, they're all different stories and different characters, but he's got this wonderful stylization that just, it's sweet and it's light and it makes you happy. Aww. And so he takes works like like Ms. Jones' House Moving Castle, and it's mostly the same. But it's got a little bit of Japanese anime vibe to it, kind of just in the, the shape of the characters. Mm-hmm. And he has some stylistic points he likes to try and hit in all of them. So you can, like, if you watch Spirited Away and then you watch House Moving Castle, you'd be like, 
hey, that what what's happening here? Even though those have no connection in the actual mm-hmm. books in real life. So that is my really long-winded uh, request for you to watch the movie so we can talk about it next time. I thought it was actually quite short because given how much I know you love this stuff, you really you really reined yourself in I tried. admirably. I'm, I'm waiting for Neil Gaiman to call me, so <laughs> I have a deadline now. That's right. You want to get out of here. Time constrained. <laughs> yes. So hopefully at some point we can, we can talk. Maybe I'll pick another one and we can do it. But these are... Diana Wynne Jones has written some lovely books, yeah. and I'm glad you didn't hate it entirely because that would have made me sad. <laughs> really, it would have. I don't want you to hate the books we choose. I want us to enjoy them and have good things to talk about so that everyone who's listening can understand that, you know, we don't always have to agree on things. Right. But every book has some qualities to it that people might enjoy. Absolutely. And with this one, it might be it might be family. It might be aging. It might be that um, you really want to hear about more weirdly anthropomorphized characters because Sophie in here is a she's a witch we find out at the end and when she talks to things they just kind of magic themselves into doing what she wants <laughs> so she worked in a hat shop and she would be sewing hats and she'd say you know I'm going to put you on somebody's head and you're going to find her a rich husband for her and I'm going to put you on somebody's head and you're going to make them really happy and then it did it and it was amazing so <laughs> well and I will say that I did because you asked me to yes. I went through I went into this book with my 10-year-old self. Thank I read you. it through my 10-year-old self eyes. And I definitely liked it better through those eyes yeah. than I did, you know, I think I'm at a disadvantage reading something for the first time as an adult yeah. versus reading it again, Yeah, you know, something that you, you yeah. enjoyed as a kid. I think I read this during middle school. Okay. And so it's been, you know. Decades. Six or seven years. Six or seven, maybe eight. <laughs> Who knows? Years. So maybe a decade since it. And so I have this lovely nostalgia when I read yeah. it as well that I, I remember loving it as a kid, and it makes me inclined to enjoy it even more as an adult. Okay, so where were you, like, did you, were you curled up on your bed in your room no. reading? Where would you read? Um, we had a sofa in the living room, and okay. I would stretch out on it, and I had this horribly covered crocheted blanket. Nice. It was in the colors of like the Dust? late 70s oh. and 80s. So it was like that avocado green, mm-hmm. kind of rust red, mm-hmm. and some kind of brown. No gold? No gold. Oh. I know. And it was this like, uh, what is that V, a chevron pattern mm-hmm. all the way down. So I would be under my chevron blanket. I would be stretched on the sofa, probably a cat or two. That sounds delightful. Sounds like what I'd like to do any given afternoon. So. <laughs> okay, so tell me, what are we reading next month? What is Christine's well, choice? Remember how um, I have been feeling like I wanted easy, non-thinky books for a I, little while? Yes, I do recall that, yes. Yeah. The, life has been a little rough, mm-hmm. needed a little escape. Yes. Didn't want to think. Yes. I'm making you think this time. I am displeased, but ready. Okay. Yes. So it's... Uh, a nonfiction book what? called, I know, Invisible Women, okay. a Data Bias in a World Designed for Men oh. by Caroline Criado Perez. Okay. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a fascinating, uh, to me, uh, look at how the world, really, because it's not just limited to the United States, um, the world's propensity to design toward this mythical creature who is average-sized man, whatever that means. Okay. Not either of us. Right. Yeah. How it disadvantage, not only does it disadvantage women, but it actually makes the world unsafe for them in many respects. For example, um, she looks, each chapter takes something and kind of examines the impact. And one of the chapters is about um, safety stuff in cars 
and okay. how the uh, crash test dummies are not women and how none of them is pregnant. And so, yes, you're okay. you're looking upset. Yeah, slightly. You're going to be furious when you read this book. Got it. So get ready to be super angry. We are going to have a fantastic debate. It's not going to be a debate. It's going to be a fantastic agreement (laughs) (laughs) about how it's it's like this validation of huh that's right that never worked for me either huh well that's why that never worked got it and it's fascinating it's very well written and i think everybody will learn something and kind of come away scratching their heads okay that sounds like a thinky book it is thinky but one that i am excited to dive into excellent so it is invisible women data bias in a world designed for men by caroline criado perez okay so Mm. uh thanks for joining us on you're making me read what even if this book wasn't your cup of tea there are millions more where that came from and don't forget you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library so please do join us next month when we will be discussing invisible women data bias in a world designed for men by caroline criado perez thank you so much and keep on reading